A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's the Drink Talking with the Thinking Drinkers, Ben McFarland and Tom Sandon, and Mistress of Wine, Sam Caporn. All the booze news and views, from Absinthe to Zinfandel. Chin Chin what? Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of It's The Drink Talking and as ever, I... Ben McFarland, I'm joined by two other co-presenters in the lovely shapes of, firstly, Tom Sandham. Hello. Hello, Tom. How are uh, you doing? I'm all right as well. You know, we spend too much time together yeah, as let's it is. Let's move on. Yeah. And also, Sam Caporn. <gasps> Perfectly pronounced. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thanks very much. You've come up all the way from the countryside? From Sussex. Yeah. How's that? Is it? Today was a breeze. Last week my train got cancelled. Oh, I'm not interested in the train. Oh. It's just about the countryside. Does it smell nice? It's lovely, full of cows and tractors and lorries who drive on the wrong side of the road. Okay, mm. good, yeah. Okay. And my neighbour's cat got run over. Oh, oh right. Yeah. A bit of a he was actually, Milo. He was lovely. Mm. But um, other know, than that, it's all right. If, if someone's cat dies in Holland, you roll your trousers up. As a sign of, like, when you used to wear black if you're yeah, well, someone you, died. You, yeah, you fly your flags at half-mast. If you see a Dutch person with one... It means a cat bereavement. So, so, yeah. <laughs> but on Good a drinks-related note, in South Korea, yeah. they've started making booze with animal parts and cats have actually been mm. used. I'm sure it tastes perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the level of humour you can yeah. expect. First gag of the day. Uh, let's not pause. Move <laughs> <laughs> on. Okay. Are we going to talk about ourselves or have we done that enough before? I think people know who we are. Um, <laughs> Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Okay, Sam, or if you obviously want to talk about yourself, tell us about yourself. You know, I would like to. <laughs> you picked up on that. Yeah, I thought I hadn't talked about myself enough in the previous two. Go do on it. then. Go, go on. on, let's hear it. It better be good. Um, or do we feel that's coming? No, no, get on, no, get on with it. Get on with it. Okay, yeah, no. So, um, quick pricey of our professional careers is what we normally yeah. have to start. Yes. But no, I felt I hadn't covered off the um, fact I was a Madame Bollinger winner. I'm not sure I'd mentioned that before. No, you, I didn't. You, know, you had, but let's <laughs> go over it again. You certainly have to ask, but maybe maybe not on the recordings. Well, so I wasn't sure I had, so I just thought I'd squeak that in. Yeah, do. Um, when you become Master of Wine, they then give out additional awards. Mm. The one that everyone wants to win is the one for wine tasting, because that's the coolest part of being yes, a wine professional. And I won that. Well done. <laughs> Listeners, you are listening to 
gold here today. Okay, um, so and um, a quick, well, quick from us then, as the thinking drinkers, Ben, <laughs> mm, which is what we do. Yeah, uh, we are now performing a uh, monthly residency yes. at the Museum of Comedy in London, and Ooh. we shall be returning to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival with our stand-up stroke drinks entertainment show. I'm going. Yes. Put me in. Okay, fourth of August. Okay, mm-hmm. it starts on the fifth, but still. Oh. Okay, <laughs> I told her it was the fourth. To be fair, <laughs> okay. I, will go I have no fifth. idea. <laughs> anyway, look on our website, <laughs> thinkingdrinkers.com. Anyway, right, I'm in charge today, so I'm hosting this, and it's all about me. Um, and the first thing we're going to do is we're going to. As you know, listeners, each week we do a thing called Spit or Swallow, which is something we like, drinks related, during the last week and something we're not so fond of. And it's me this week, everybody. Woohoo! And my spit is all to do with bankers. But there are city institutions such as Lloyds of London, and they have banned their workers from going out for a lunchtime pint. I mean, there's no alcohol whatsoever during the day. Does that not challenge one's human rights, oh. you might think? Isn't it everyone's right to go and have a beer at lunch if they want? I don't think it's in the... Um, <laughs> no, it's not I in the work contract. No, I don't think it is. <laughs> should, be. It should, should be. Should be. Maybe that's the thing we Maybe should campaign Maybe we should start a campaign. Mm. So things aren't going well, obviously, with Brexit. There's uncertainty. Oh, so rather than just getting on with it and going to the pub and thinking, let's have a pint and talk about it, they said no drinking. Everyone just go to Pret come back, look at Facebook for an hour, carry on working, surely going for a pint. And especially yeah. if you just sit there's a nice pub around here. Mm. Um, Presumably, though, this isn't really a post-Brexit booze-off. No, no, no. It's, it's, what I'm saying, though, is that we're heading into financial uncertainty, whichever way you look at it. Mm. And the fact that they've coincided that with a decision to ban booze at lunchtime means that there's no way we're going to come out well. Mm. If we go for a pint at lunchtime... Have a chat with your colleagues. You don't really speak to anyway. It's a good way of socialising. I'm not saying getting drunk. Just loosen you, up. Just yeah, loosen just up. loosen up. Mm. They'll do their sums better, yeah. maybe. Yeah. They might look at some numbers and go, oh, I've just might seen it in a different light <laughs> after my half of Abbott Ale or something. And then... <laughs> it's a very specific choice. Well, I was yeah. just thinking of something that's not too strong. Even, but, yeah, just a half. I mean, the three martini lunch is that financial institution, wasn't it, in the 50s and 60s where people go out and drink three martinis and then go back to the office. Probably a bit, probably a bit mm. of a stretch, although one martini... If there's if three of you... Beer, and everyone had a martini. Everyone has a martini. It's a three yeah. martini lunch, isn't it? But a pint, a pint at 4% ABV. I've also got to remember that these... The pub is the backbone of British mm-hmm. culture. And if you're not going, if bankers are not using them, then they are in trubs. They're, yeah. There's quite a few going bankrupt every week, isn't it? 25 it's a week at the moment. So. But I just think it's if you treat your workers as if they're idiots and they're going to do silly things at lunchtime, they're going to behave like them. They're going to behave like mm. them. Mm. And it makes it, it demonises drink once again. And I just think it's silly. Go for a pint if you want, but if you come into the office drunk, then you get yeah. sacked. It's quite <laughs> <And> simple. <then laughs> I'm not saying you should go out, have 10 pints, and then come back to work. Obviously, that is not productive, no. even if you're being paid good money, which I hear they are. Mm. But they, yeah, they're they are. Right. We had a massive drinks culture years ago when I used to work at the wine magazine. I <laughs> hope there's a drinking culture of that. And, but, um, there are exceptions. Yeah. But it, was, it wasn't actually a wine magazine. Um, a number of drinks titles was owned by the, the publishing group. And uh, there was a number of people, certainly on a Friday, who would go to pub lunch and just never come back. You know, I think maybe that's more accepted in the booze industry. Yes. You're not playing with anyone else's money. You're just, you know. Yeah. We've just come in here and there were people in this office 
having a, something called a stand-up meeting. I've never seen such <laughs> I've never a seen thing. that before. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this, it's, it's basically it's a, a normal It's a crime. Where, it's a crime. Instead of sitting down, you stand up. And you can do that in a pub. Yeah. <laughs> you can do that in a pub. You can stand yeah. up, have a meeting, but you can have a drink. And that is... Surely. The beauty of it. Yeah. That was your spit, yeah, presumably. Yeah, all right, all right. No, I'm, I'm You're supposed to be Sam. raining this in. Um, but just to finish that, one of the most amazing things that mankind has ever done, which is the Egyptian pyramids, they were paid in beer <laughs> every single day, 10 pints of beer every day, about 5 6% each mm. beer. Look what they achieved. But maybe the pyramids weren't meant to be triangles. But also, yeah, were, it was supposed to be a semi-detached <laughs> garage. Exactly. No yeah. doors and, a swimming, and a swimming pool. Yeah. No doors or windows. No. So they, well, they did an all right job. Anyway, so that's my that's my spit. What's your swallow? And my swallow is... Oh, yes, this is interesting. Is it? Will be we'll, the be judge. The judge. <laughs> we'll be the judge. Well, um, beer goggles. Yeah, this yeah. is interesting. So boffins, boffins with white coats and spectacles have discovered that Beauty is indeed in the eye of the beer holder. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, so well done that. there. Um, it's hard to miss. Apparently, in, well, in 2003, some Scottish boffins reckoned that they took some heterosexual people, okay, and they told them to drink three pints of beer and they rated members of the opposite sex more attractive than they would have done had they been entirely sober. Okay, I've got a that's point not, here. That's not, that's not great news, is it? You no. know, but, <laughs> They also discover that bears do their business in the woods and mm. the Pope wears a daft hat. But still, that is actually something that they've proven. But that's not the best bit about this. Well, you, Sam, you're desperate to say something. I can see why you're walking back and forth. <laughs> Two things I was going to say, actually. One, is it that they think the person becomes more attractive or is it just that they become randier and somehow that skews their perception of how well, they look? Well, also, I think there's a, an argument to say that if you're in a confined area for a sustained period of time, eventually, regardless of alcohol, you will certainly start to think some people are more attractive than they are, if that is what's on in offer. Fact, I work with Tom. That's 24 7 start to concern <laughs> okay, me. Yeah. However, Ben, that wasn't... There's, there's more to this. No, you yes, seem okay. keen to tell us more. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, that first study mm. discovered that the beer goals doesn't affect your judgment of the same sex, if you're heterosexual. Okay. Or, indeed, objects. So you don't, if you're looking at a painting or something, you go... Or a press uh, sandwich. Or a press sandwich. It can be anything, yeah, yeah. Okay. But um, later on, in 2013, the French... Ooh la la. Je m'appelle. <laughs> um, they revealed that if you drink, you become more attractive to yourself. Yeah. How French oh, is that? that? Yeah, How you know French what? is that? That is I true. I love myself even more after a wine. <laughs> you know what? Can I say that is true? I definitely find that. What, do, do, when you go to like the loo and look yourself in the mirror and go, yeah. oh, I'm looking hot. Yeah, you reapply a lippy and you're like, oh, I'm looking all right. Mm. Yeah, that happens. Oh, mm. I get quite melancholy. And I do. <laughs> just look at yourself and go, oh, no. Look into my eyes. What's happened to me? Look into my eyes and see the holes, the dark holes that are there. So the French 2013, this is, mm. this is, a, this is a timeline of studies yep. into beer goggles. I mean, <laughs> and in 2014, a study revealed that beer goggles can influence the perceived attractiveness of both animate and inanimate objects. So if you look at a pair of shoes, a pair of shoes mm. they you you will find a pair mm. of shoes more attractive. Don't when go you're shopping dry. after glasses. Exactly. No, I was We're all looking for bashed credit card. But, but this is yeah. the latest news. So this is that was all old news. Yeah. The latest, then a new study found that men and both women will find members of the same sex much more attractive as well now. Mm. So mm. they started with a very obvious angle, saying. Yeah, you'll find members of the opposite sex more attractive. But then over the years, thousands of pounds of research have gone into this. You'll find 
everything more attractive more whilst you drink. Which, if you think about yeah, the effect, okay, <clears throat> it make you experiment sexually, it broadens your sexual yeah. horizons. But also, it means that if you have a couple of drinks and you go to an art gallery, or you listen to music, or you go and listen to a lecture, watch a film, everything, everything. is better. Yeah, everything's better. Everything mm-hmm. is better. Which is true. Uh, it's a colossal waste of research money. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's more, but that's it's quite good. amazing. I'm, I thought that was quite interesting. Have a drink. Excellent. Yes, have beer a, goggles beer, are true. Beer goggles are an actual thing. And basically enhance your life. Yes. Hmm. yes. In every way. But in moderation. And responsibly. If your beer goggles turn you blind, that's very bad. Mm. Yeah. Move on. Yes. Okay. So Excellent. Then, I enjoyed right. that one enormously. Thank you yeah. very much. That was a good one. And now we're going to do um, what I would call technically a tasting. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sam Caporn, the mistress of wine, and you're listening to It's the Drink Talking. It's the spirits tasting this week. It's me, isn't it? It is. It is. It's me, and I'm going to be tasting some gin, but we will recommend these things so that you can try them at home. And we thought we'd do gin this week just because um, gin is really having a great time of it at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, Everyone seems to be gin. talking about gin, enjoying gin. And it's very historic stuff. It's got a lot of uh, historic association with this country, although really the roots of it start a bit further south in Europe. And it's all based around the history of juniper, which is essential in your gin. Juniper is a botanical that started making its way into strong drinks, spirits, back in the 13th century in Italy. And juniper travelled all the way through Europe and had lots of curative properties. Early Europeans used it to cure insomnia. Is it in all gin? Is it in all gin? Hmm. It's a very good question. Now, we would say really as gin fans, as gin experts, that it needs to be in there. Hmm. It should really be a predominant flavour, aroma. It should be a core ingredient in gin. As gin has sort of hit a second revolution in more recent times, people have 
dialed back the juniper a bit. And in some cases, it's, it's got lost altogether. About seven or eight years ago, there was a trend to make gins with less juniper, which is because some people say they don't like juniper. I'm afraid if you don't like juniper... Our view is you don't like gin. Juniper is the piney thing that gives it a piney aroma and quite a slightly bitter taste. So it's not for everyone, but it's essential. Tom, I don't want to appear as more informed, more interesting than you, but have you you got any information about the plague and... Yes, because I know a fact about it that's quite interesting. I do, Ben. There is an epic history, and we can talk about uh, how people would burn juniper and they believed it would help ward off the plague. Yes. Um, And in fact, there is legitimate evidence to show this was true, although it was all a bit cockamamie at the time. You're going to tell me something about beaks, aren't you? Yeah, so what happened (laughs) was, I'm desperate to say this, people used to put these big cones on their noses (laughs) Mm. during the plague and burn juniper in these cones, believing that it warded off the plague. And they'd go around telling people, put one of these cones on your face and put juniper in and you won't get the plague. It was obviously nonsense because the plague wasn't cured by juniper in itself. No. We don't know. That's not the interesting bit, no. whether it cured the plague or no. not. The interesting <laughs> bit was, because they looked like ducks and they were kind of sort of quasi-doctors, that's where you get the phrase quacks from. Oh, so there you go. That, 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 is, that is very that interesting. Is interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah, there's a, evidence to suggest that the fleas that carried it didn't, didn't like, like, didn't like the ginger. Yeah. But that is more, more interesting, the quack thing, than that. If we look at the history of gin, it is, it's uh, an epic one. Actually arrived on British shores via the Dutch. William of Orange, who took the British throne, he bought Haneva, which was the Dutch gin over, mm-hmm. with him. And we didn't really drink it here until he did that. He passed legislation to allow us to distill in this country. Um, so everyone started distilling and in honour they started flavouring with juniper and, uh, and, and gin caught on. And actually, in hindsight, he might, might have thought twice about doing that because so many people distilled a gin that we had a problem with gin. By 1723, every man, woman and child was drinking a pint of gin <gasps> a week. And that's, yes, children as well, listeners. So it was a problem. Um, and gin. you might have seen the Hogarth depiction of Gin Lane, uh, the horrors of gin in 1750. It was causing a lot of trouble, killing a lot of people because it was being made badly, being made with sulfuric acid and uh, <laughs> urine and all sorts of nasty things. But actually, as, as he was a social commentator, and as he pointed out, it wasn't gin's fault... Uh, there were a lot of problems with society at the time, a lot of poverty. And gin got the blame. It recovered uh, in the 1800s, but really it hasn't properly ever got over the stigma of mother's ruin or making you depressed. That's going to be my next things. question. Where's that come from? Because I um, don't think I've ever got weepy. It's not going to make you any more maudlin than any excessive alcohol intake. Yeah. And I think it's because... So it's got this wrong reputation of making you too. Yeah, which dates back to the 1700s. Mother's Ruin is yeah. what it was called. And uh, based on the fact that this woman lobbed her baby away in exchange for some gin. Don't she wanted do that. Us. Is that, that true? Is bad. That is, mm. Yeah, that oh. is bad. But I've been tempted. <laughs> <laughs> they, are, yeah. they are annoying and beautiful. <laughs> but it's going through a resurgence. Finally, we're sort of coming back to gin. And now there are more gins arriving every week than we know what to do with, which is a good thing. But uh, we've got two gins to try today, and I'll talk a bit more about gin as we taste them. And the first one we're going to try is actually Tanqueray 10. Ooh, Tanqueray nice. number 10. One of my faves, thank um, you. And this is from the Tanqueray Company, which was set up in 1830. 
by Charles Tanqueray, and he was uh, one of the pioneers of the new gins. And Tanqueray gin is a great gin. You'll find it in supermarkets for around £20, which is obscenely cheap, really, because it's um, it's only got four botanicals, and it's a, it's a really solid gin that makes a great martini, and we're really big fans of it. That's at the base of Tanqueray 10, and then they add four more botanicals to this. Um, so at the heart of it, you've still got a core gin, lots of juniper, and then they've added... Lots of other things. Uh, let's see what our experts in the room think might be in here. Okay. It's difficult, isn't it? I think there's... A herb? There's, there's very, no, I think quite citrusy. Citrusy. I was going to say yes. citrus and herbs. I'd very, say... Um, lemon? That's what I was going to say. <laughs> it's, main, it's, it's number one citrus, isn't it? It, oh. it, it is citrus. And they, they've added fresh fruit into this. So they've added white grapefruit, lime and fresh orange. So no um, lemon. So no lemons. Oh. <laughs> Any rosemary? No, that's a big thing, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just, you know, with citrus, you're like, lemon. yeah, lemon. No. It's quite different neat as well. It I is. normally do put a whack of tonic in. Okay, well, Ooh. and I don't, a gin and tonic's a fantastic drink, but I also think that something like this, um, you can just chill it down. You don't really need to serve it with much else. It makes an amazing martini. Well, this is what I don't understand about the way people drink gin. In the same way you talk about whiskey and how this... You can add water. We've already talked about that mm. before. But with gin, with so much going on in it, mm. I think it's the perfect thing to drink neat or with a bit of ice. I'd just be on the floor. So with this, as a martini, it'd be gin and... And a splash, a tiny amount of vermouth. I wouldn't add much vermouth to this because I, I think you don't want anything really to... Detract from the, from the botanicals. So, like, how much vermouth you put in? Um, like a t- like a tablespoon or not? No, no, not no, 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 no. no, no. But I, I do maybe ten parts gin to one part vermouth. So. And do you have to do anything snazzy to it, like strain it, or do you just lob it in a glass? No, stir it over ice. Um, yeah. And the ice matters. I mean, if we're going to get into the martini conversation, the ice matters because you don't want it to over dilute. So, if you're using ice from the freezer, don't stir it for too long. You just want to stir it to chill it really. Yeah. And then add a get tiny bit of dilution and get it straight mm-hmm. out. But I mean, it is forty-seven point three percent ABV, mm-hmm. so it is strong. <laughs> yes. But then, if you have a cask strength whiskey, uh, you wouldn't think twice about having that in a glass on its own, and sipping it. It's neat, more to so do with the occasion, though, isn't it? I was about to say after dinner, you'd have a whiskey probably, mm. and you normally drink gin as an aperitif. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I always drink gin as an aperitif. Well, yeah, Ben's exactly. shaking his head. Well, yeah, why? He doesn't want to say it's. Aperitif is it's the uh, French word for dentures. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bad, it's a tired joke that we use all the time. But it's new for me. That's what's quite okay, amazing. Good, it's a bit, you two basically are like an old married couple. You can finish <laughs> off each other's sentences. Yeah. Oh, you're so boring. I've heard that yeah. same many times. And we sleep in separate beds. Yeah. <laughs> so Tanqueray 10, uh, grapefruit, fresh lime, fresh orange, and chamomile flowers. So that's <laughs> stop it. So it's got quite a sort of perfumed floral touch. Caramel or chamomile? Chamomile, what did I say? Chamomile. Wasn't sure, that's why I asked. Oh, okay, chamomile. Chamomile. And what do people think of that? That's one of my favourite gins, I love it. That's just what I was about to say. It's it's genuinely one of the uh, preferred gins in the Capehorn household. Okay, good. But also I think there's a tendency with all these new young whippersnappers, many of which are amazing, they are good, but I do think that... If you're into gin, you shouldn't forget the classic families, the classic brands. Still make amazing gin. And also fly on the flag when gin was about as popular as 
E. coli for a bit. They wasn't doing very well, Ooh. and they were making amazing gins. Do you have another glass, Ben? I'm just, while you're talking, just pouring the next one, which is the Adnams Copperhouse Dry Gin. And actually, we're going to be talking about this in various places over the next few months, because we are tasting this in our shows this year at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Another great gin. And Adams, Someone was talking about this to me uh, on the tennis court last week. Oh, OK. <laughs> La-di-da. <laughs> tennis and gin. How British. Um, <laughs> this is coming from the, the same people who make Adnams beer, and they've been making their beer since the late 1800s. A long time ago, yeah. And they make great beer. And they set up a, a distillery uh, 2010 in the same place, in Southwold. It's a great weekend visit. You go down to Southwold, a beautiful place, uh, and you can try their beer and then you can try their spirits. And they make gin, they make whiskey, they make vodka. They've even had a go at absinthe and limoncello. So they're very experimental distillers. And they're a good example of a modern uh, distillery, a whole craft distilling movement. Their distillery looks wicked. It's yeah, amazing, it's doesn't it? It's a beautiful it? setup. And they can genuinely go from farm grain through to the bottle. So they can, because they're fermenting and they're making a beer, which is what they start off with in distillation, they can use their own beer. And I think they could, around 7 or 8% beer that they put through to the distillery. And then they use that as their wash for the first distillation to make their base for the spirit. And then they add their botanicals. So it's, a, so it's, it's a quite great, logical. Yeah, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. And it's a really nice, genuinely artisan. That word tends to get used a lot but they are a genuinely artisan operation. So let's have a taste of it. It smells quite different to me. I'm finding it more aromatic with more botanicals mm. and maybe slightly more herbal. Okay, well, that is interesting. There are. Because you're wrong. Uh, no, no, you're not <laughs> wrong. But there is. it's not actually that dissimilar in, in terms of its core ingredient. And again, very juniper forward. This is a, a London dry gin. And what that means is they redistill the gin with the botanicals in it, which brings a, a great. Uh, intensity of the botanical flavour through and they've used some fairly standard core traditional botanicals in there but they've also added hibiscus quite a traditional ingredient in food and drink i definitely find that more full-on and aromatic and flavorful than the tanqueray i like both of them they've got almost got different it's a lot it's less ginny Oh, okay. That's interesting. You you should say that. I find the juniper quite um, assertive in there, so I find that ginny. But what is different to the other one, and tasting next to each other is interesting, is because it's got quite an oily mouthfeel. It's mm. slightly, mm. almost gives it a slight sweetness to more it. Luscious. It's more yeah. chenavery. It's more like the mm. Dutch chenaver yeah, that's good. in terms of the mouthfeel. Yeah, sort of oily and mm. unctuous. Ooh. Yeah, I cool. love it. And, and it, would, as a it would make a bit great girly thing to say, but they're both in jolly pretty bottles. They are. Tanqueray 10 recently had a redesign on the bottle and uh, um, they've got a stunning looking bottle. And Adnams is good stuff too. This would make a good dirty martini, I think. Well, mm. probably all that sweetness. What's is, that? What's with an olive? Uh, a bit of olive brine in there as well yeah. because that just savoury edge will offset some of the sweetness in it so um, it is quite a sweet but again it's very easy to drink it neat isn't it, it what's interesting is that they're so different if you think <laughs> about how many how many gins are out there at, at the moment if you're mm. into gin it does make sense to get a broad range yes mm. i mean they are very very different and if you yeah. think compared to something like vodka mm. There is a huge depth and breadth of flavour that you can experiment with and explore. Well, this is the thing. I mean, vodka's got over a thousand brands on the market, and someone asked me the other day if they thought gin was reaching a saturation point. We're seeing so many arrive. Well, no. If vodka, yeah. which is essentially a flavourless spirit, can have that many, then gin, there's a long way to go. 
So that's the tasting, I think. Is that was Love fascinating, it. Tom. <clears throat> yeah, no, I love gin. I've come to gin quite late in the day. In fact, the first time I had gin was with my husband, now husband, back in 1999. And I went round to his house and we were staying in Sydney and I had my first gin and tonic. Mm. And I didn't like it. It was too bitter. There you go. But over the years, I've become a total convert. It's quite interesting you got to 1999 without having a gin. I really don't think I had. I mean, I was only 25. Yeah, I wouldn't have had one. I wouldn't have had one at uni. Well, that just or... shows you that gin back then wasn't was that wasn't long cool. ago. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> it was quite a long time. Yeah, ago. but at that point it was very yeah. much kind of twin set and pearls. Yeah, sort of you know something that your mother's Rooney, your aunts not would cool. have, and, and now it's maybe that's why it's associated with depression or sort of being a bit maudlin. It's the fact that. Ladies of a certain age who Menopause are going through or women. A, I, I can't believe you said that, Sam. I was, that was not where I was going, but that's a very good point. Yeah, maybe that's where I was going to And yeah, anyway, it was associated on. with blue rinses as well. That's probably Isn't a bit sherry? beyond the... Yes, that's um, beyond the... Uh, just quickly on that tonic, though. The tonic contains quinine, which is very important and uh, has got great historical roots as well. Built the empire for good oil. Anti-malarial properties, yes. And that's quite bitter. So I think mm. if you are trying new gins, like we have today, try them neat. It sounds a bit bold mm. but do it because that's how you are actually going to be able to interpret what Which the gin, gin tastes like, like. so that's a good starting point like we've done today absolutely okay. good well done everyone now sam your next bit is one that we're both very much looking forward to <laughs> yeah As you it's be. all it's called legends of liquor mm-hmm. and you're going to be celebrating someone within the wine world yeah who's done some amazing things yeah who is that person right so i've actually chosen someone who is alive is that allowed? Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, yeah they're better. Just, so, it does make... You can libel them, though, so... Right, no, 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 it's fine. That's the dead people. You can say whatever So, um, So, basically, I um, had the pleasure of judging at a wine competition with this lady a couple of weeks ago, and she's super cool, and she's called Maureen Downey, otherwise known as Mo, and basically, she has become the world's foremost expert on counterfeit wines. Oh, yeah. that's good. Yeah, so she's super cool, and... Um, Crime. I think she, wine crime. Seriously, oh, it's awesome. I watched crime. a documentary last night called Sour Grapes. And basically, she started off as a sommelier and then went to work in an auction house in New York. And meanwhile, there's this young guy from Indonesia who had a slightly um, mysterious background and he became the real darling of the fine wine scene. He drank tons of wine, started appearing at auctions, and then basically was just sort of by Merlot. And then suddenly, like 18 months later, turned up with sort of three cases of 61 Latour and um, tried to sell some wines to Maureen. And she basically said, I need to see the paperwork and, you know, make sure it's authentic. And he provided a really um, dodgy looking fax from China in Chinese. And she basically refused the wine. And at the time, she really stuck to her guns when the whole fine wine scene, this guy was at the pinnacle of it. He held these fine wine dinners, all these collectors and famous people thought he was awesome. And she basically refused to deal in his wine because he couldn't prove where it came from and she became quite unpopular but she really stuck to her guns and she just knew her little you know radar was twitching and she was just thinking this is weird you know this guy's come from nowhere suddenly he's um keeps finding all this uh, really sort of famous fine wine that he's got available to sell but then what happened was at um, an auction in 2008 he was selling some wines and the guy who made the wine saw on a brochure that the wines that were being sold 
he'd never made. They just did not oh, exist. That is rookie. This guy, Laurent Ponce. I've not heard of Google. Well, that's the thing. Some of the things he was selling. He was selling like um, Petrus and Magnums from a vintage they hadn't even made in a Magnum. And he was selling eight Magnums or something when they'd only made five. Mm. So basically, things started it's unraveling. It's happening in ice cream as well. <laughs> but, um, his, name, his name was Ponce. Then this um, guy, Laurent Ponceau. Uh, from Burgundy saw this catalogue with a whole load of his wines in it and he was like okay my wines have never been bottled under wax wines were being estate bottled in a year that they hadn't even been estate bottled in and so on so he got on a plane went to the auction in New York and then basically said I want this whole lot withdrawn from the auction and that was kind of the beginning of this guy's demise um, called Rudy Conowan. Conman. 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 Seriously, what's the origins of that? Well, this is brilliant. He basically made up his name. So he he took it from a famous badminton player. No way. Yeah, and his brother took a name of another badminton player. They were colluding together. There was the beginning of his undoing, this 2008 auction. I can imagine why. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and people stopped, and for a while, people really stopped trading his wines. But then a year later, some wines from him turned up at Christie's again. Well, OK, Rudy, I don't know yeah. if you've been put in he's prison. In What's t- he's you? serving 10 years. Ten years first okay. person in the US to ever be charged for wine fraud, <laughs> and he's serving 10 years in prison. It definitely caught up with him. But yeah. were his wines tasty? Right. This is such an interesting point. The whole point is the dot-com bubble, you know, the whole Silicon Valley scene was really blossoming and mm. people suddenly had tons of cash and they got into wine and they wanted expensive wines so they weren't really used to or have particularly knowledgeable or trained palates and they mm. were going for the big guns straight into the fine and, and rare wines. And I suspect when they opened them, didn't have Absolutely. a clue. Yeah, what, and, nice. and the whole so point is was... about authenticating wines is you can't really do it you know, if you're tr- still trying to trade it, you can't open a bottle and check. No. And how many people taste so many 61 Latours that they're going to know what it tastes like? No, but also, it's, if, you're, if, they're, no. if they're trading it... Really? Uh, if, if these people are buying them to make money out as an mm. investment rather than to yeah, enjoy them, are. then is it any different to buying shares in, I don't know... It all seems to be up in the ether anyway. This yeah. kind of idea that you're buying something and its perceived value is is the value of what someone's willing to pay for it. Exactly. Rather than what, what yeah. it is. Well, that's, and that's the guy who basically was, you know, instrumental in unravelling the crime, I guess. That's what he was saying. He said, it's, it's crazy. I, I release my wines for like $100 you know, dollars a bottle. Then they're suddenly $1,000 a bottle. But what's also interesting is the amount of people who colluded with this guy. So the auction houses, they weren't authenticating, they weren't checking. But is there Millions and millions of dollars but going how, through but how the auction houses. Let's just say I got a bottle of mm-hmm. Latour 61. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it could be authentic and it could not be authentic. Yep. Is there a DNA within the Maureen. wine? Maureen. Call Maureen. Of course, let's get back to Maureen. So, so this is what Mo does. She basically goes into people's cellars and helps them organise it. But also she's trademarked this sort of pioneering way to authenticate wines. And it's quite simple. You just you check the capsules, you check the labels, you check the paper. You just look for obvious things. Like on one bottle, the guy had spelt Sackville Street in London wrong on the label. He'd, he'd put two E's in rather than two L's. Yeah. And there's some French in it that was wrong. Funny language. But, ha- 
her key her key things are like a magnifying glass, like a light. She is a detective. She is. She's the Nancy Drew of wine. She's awesome. Just so she, one more thing. She's like this complete sleuth, and you know she reckons she can process I think thirty wines a day, and she literally just looks at the label, gets out lights, um, checks the bottle, the glass, checks the capsule, and there's this thing she says where you know if the capsule looks really new, but the label looks old, you've basically got a you know twenty five year old head on a ninety year old body, and that doesn't match up. That no. can't be right. Mm. And she once picked up a bottle of Petrus and it was just really light. So the counterfeiters had used the wrong glass. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just fascinating. She must, but they must, you know, they must have a lot of money behind this. Yeah. An auction house, Acker, Merrill and Condit in New York, they went from being kind of second rate players to the most Trust successful them. auction house in the world through selling this guy's wines. This guy, Rudy, sold $130 million worth of wine. He's got 10 years. I think it was at 37 when he went down. Okay. We've still got time to enjoy that. And so Maureen, my legend, she's trying to stop wine crime and wine fraud, educate people to be more savvy about it. But it's all in their interest, isn't it? It's Well... No, that's the point. It's not, sometimes it's not. It's if you can pass loads of fraudulent bottles of wine and make a fortune. Oh, that's what people, I mean. Yeah. That's what I mean. The, the, yeah. the reason why the auction houses probably aren't investing in, yeah. in that kind of authentication is that they're the like, code well, of silence well, well, hang and on. yeah, yeah. yeah. So Maureen well is this massive champion of well done, coming Maureen. down on wine like fraud. She's like awesome. Mate. Yeah, I and think she I really rate her. Sorry, mine's a mess. Yeah, get around. Yeah, yeah. A couple of bites down there. Yeah, and. Yeah, so basically she'll go and um, get it all in a sensible order and document it. There's this famous billionaire. I don't know if it was Maureen, actually, but someone went, I think he had, he hired a private investigator and an ex-CIA guy. And um, they found out that he had spent $4 million on 400 fake bottles of wine in his cellar. Oof. This yeah. happens in whiskey as well. Fake whiskey? Yeah, actually, I can imagine. A big, big market yeah. for it as well. And they've recently started exposing some of the fraudulent characters in Have it. Have you got a Mo Downey um, of whiskey? Um, but you need one. No, I don't know. There must be one out there. I've actually. got magnifying glass. Yeah. Wow. And a light. That's all you need. A pair of eyes. Off and running. Yeah. I did read it for some stuff. She charged five hundred dollars an hour. I thought I'd have a piece of that. Yeah. All right. Okay. So I think we're well, right, done, Mo. Mm. Now. Okay. Yeah. She, she's got enough love. <laughs> all for right. Us. Well done, Mo. Move along. <laughs> Let's move on. Well, that uh, brings us to a conclusion. Thank you very much, everybody. Before we go, Tom, can you remind the listeners? of the lovely gins we were tasting today. Yes, we've been enjoying Tanqueray number 10, uh, which is available from uh, the very reputable website uh, Master of Malt or whiskeyexchange.com for around £27 to £30, depending on where you get it from. And we've been enjoying Adnam's Copperhouse Gin, which is the one with the hibiscus, and that uh, retails for a similar price, £27 on Master of Malt, around the same from the whiskeyexchange.com. Fantastic. Join us next week when we will be doing a wine tasting, I do believe. Indeed, with myself. We are going to be looking at the Chardonnay grape. Good stuff. And will there be the Spit and Swallow and Legends of Liquor? Spit and Swallow will include animals, so do tune in to that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Let's move on. (laughs) Um, So uh, join us next week, and thank you for listening to It's the Drink Talking. If you've enjoyed this podcast and like to learn more about drink, then you can see Ben and Tom, the Thinking Drinkers, in our live show where we'll be tasting alcohol making you laugh. We're on tour. We're at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival throughout August and then around the UK and in London. All dates and ticket prices can be found on our website, www.thinkingdrinkers.com. Please buy a ticket, please. 
And if you want any more wine information, then go to my site, www.themistressofwine.com. Thanks. Cheers. This was a Grand Cru podcast from Seven Digital. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 